There are some who call me Tim. Welcome, Valley of the Sun and around the world. Tim Jacobs here. Thank you so much for joining me on Life 360 with Tim Jacobs, your one-hour wide with God, your spiritual Zumba class, and it is the thigh master for your soul. You didn't think there was one of those available, but there is, and it's right here, right now. This is the show that is redefining Christian radio right here on 1280 KXEG. And yes, this is a very different show than you're going to hear on pretty much anything else here on KXEG. And I get that. There's some wonderful programs on here. And you know, you're listening to the radio. Maybe you got KXEG tuned in and you're going through your day and you're listening to all this cool stuff, you know, this prophetic stuff and other stuff. And, you know, you're hearing all these sensible sounding guys. And 4 p.m. Tuesday, all of a sudden this guy gets on the radio. Where did this guy come from? Well, I am Tim Jacobs. I am the pastor of Compass Church in the Wild West Valley, Goodyear, Arizona to be exact, but people come from all over the place. And you can find us at compasschurchaz.com. Also, make sure you go to my podcast page, timjacobslive.com, for all the previous shows we've done. I only get one hour a week with you, so I try to make the best of my time here. And We've interviewed some amazing people. We've talked about some really crucial and very important stuff. You can find me on Facebook. Facebook, Life360 with Tim Jacobs. That's my Facebook page. I promise to not barrage you with all kinds of irrelevant ridiculousness like what I just wrote on my own personal Facebook page, which is uh, Pastor Tim Jacobs, that I just think if you eat salad, it's basically like eating nothing. Because that's what I had for lunch. And I'm like, why did I even do this? I paid $7 for something that I was like eating air. But that's a different story. If you go to Tim at CompassChurchAZ.com, you will be able to send me an email. This... Sunday, my friends, is the greatest Sunday of all because it is Easter Sunday. And I'm going to tell you right now, wherever you are, as long as you are not in a moving car that you are driving, you should go to allaboutthattomb.com, allaboutthattomb.com, because that is the website you're going to want to visit. If you do not have a place to go to for Easter this weekend, you need to come. If you're already going to some other church that you're plugged into, I'm not trying to lose lure you away from that unless it's unless it's horribly insanely boring in which case you can come see our service I'm kind of half joking but you do need to go to allaboutthattomb.com and find a place to go for Easter um, at our church in particular Compass Church and you know by the way uh, well we'll get to this later listen there's so much to talk to you about today you're going to want to call 602-368-3776. And I got to tell you, like, I'm just kind of a mess right now. My wife had minor foot surgery a few weeks ago, and she's a tough lady. But I tell you, it's been, it's been rough. She has to have her foot up all the time. She can't drive. She can't walk. She can't really do anything. At least she's not supposed to do anything, but she hasn't really been a very good patient lately because she's, you know, up and around. But but everyone told me before, oh, when your wife has this surgery and she's laid up for a couple weeks with her foot up, you're going to appreciate her so much more than you do. Like I didn't appreciate her already. I already did. It didn't require foot surgery for me to appreciate my wife. But I'll admit to you, I was like, yeah, right. I got this. Okay, I can do this. 
Okay, I, I, it's uh, so she's so she's down for the count for a few weeks. No problem. I'm stepping in. I'll be Mr. Mom, Mr. Dad, Mr. Everything. Well, I'm here, my friends, to tell you this. I don't got this. I mean, this is ridiculous. I got one kid in baseball. I got one kid in gymnastics. And I got another kid in theater. My wife can't drive. She can't do anything around the house. I go to the grocery store. Now, guys, if you're listening to me, you understand what I'm saying. I go into the grocery store and I'm lost. I mean, all I had to do was buy Tide, the, you know, the laundry detergent. And I go to buy, and I, but I look and there's 55 different kinds of Tide. And I, I'm, I swear I'm going to buy the wrong one. And I'm, so I'm, I'm, I'm paralyzed. I'm, I start to drool down the side of my mouth because I'm lost. It's like one of those things that you stare at and, and it's like the, the colors. And then all of a sudden it becomes like a 3D image. You know, if you just stare at it and go numb in your brain, that's what happens to me involuntarily at the store. I'm there for three hours wandering around aimlessly. So I'm in a fog. I was talking to another dad about this. He's like, you go into the store, you might as well be blind. And this is not an offense to anybody who's blind. It's just like, it's the way that it is. So I told my kid, we've been having the most amazing people. They've been bringing food to our house like every single night. It's really good. Um, but I, after we're done, because we have meals for like two weeks. But after this, the kids are getting pizza every single night until this whole thing is back to normal. Because I can't do this. Because I can't cook. I'll kill the kids. I, don't, I can't cook worth anything. So, so finally... And my, you know, my wife, she's just amazing at all this stuff. So finally she comes out of the kitchen and of course it's a mess. I mean, I'm trying my best. So she sits there and she, she directs me to do, to, to like on how to clean. So like put this pan here, put this in a container, put in the fridge. And she starts like executing orders and I just follow them like a robot. And I swear the whole kitchen got clean in like five minutes. What took me three hours and she didn't do it. She just told me what to do. And I'm so, I was so happy in my soul because it's demoralizing, right? And I'm telling you, like I told my wife, I go, honey, all we needed was a leader. All we needed was a leader out here because you're back there in the room. And we didn't know what we just need. I mean, my wife is the Winston Churchill of the kitchen. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm demoralized and she's up there going, never, 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 never give up, right? We're going to fight them on the beaches and fight them in the streets. I'm like, yeah, we can clean this kitchen. We're going to do it. But it has not been easy. And I'm just going to tell you, my friends, you know your life is messed up when you're like driving down the street and you're at a stop sign or whatever and you see a homeless guy and you're like, oh man, I wish I was that dude. You know, because he's just sitting there and he's not doing anything. And you're like, I just want to pull the car over and sit next to that guy and just watch the sunset. Like, I just want to pull over and go, man, how do you do it? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm running around like a chicken with my head cut off and that dude's just sitting there. We have this one guy right by our, not too far from our house. I'm like, man, write a book, dude, because I'm dying, okay? Anyway, it's not been easy, but I do appreciate my wife. And, and I, I don't care what anybody says. I don't care what anybody says. Men and women are different, all right? And I know the woman can do anything a man can do, blah, 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 blah. Okay, I get it, okay? But when it comes to managing a home, women are amazing. Like, my wife's like a ninja, all right? And I'm, I'm an idiot. So I'm just telling you, I'm coming in today, and I'm frazzled. By the way, 602-368-3776, if you have a similar problem. Man, if you're out there, you're like, man, I get this guy. You know, if your wife's going, you know, if she's temporarily out of commission or whatever. It's just, anyway, it's crazy. Next week, I'm going to be interviewing Garrett Epps, professor of constitutional law at the University of Baltimore about the case in Indiana. Um, and this issue is going to come to a head. 
But let me just say this. I, I, I believe that this whole law about um, the religious, uh, the, the uh, discrimination bill about the Religious Freedom Act um, that, that was signed into law by Governor Mike Pence. The vast majority of people, I believe, should be able to interact with all people in a kind, civil, and loving way. In other words, if you own a restaurant, you should not refuse service to a homosexual. Okay? If you're a doctor, you should you should not refuse to treat a homosexual. Okay? Unless you believe that homosexuals should not be able to eat or be treated by doctors, in which case you have a real problem. But there are certain things that have less to do with treating a person as a human being and then taking apart taking part in something that affirms a certain type of behavior. And I don't see what's so utterly unreasonable about that. So you have to remember something. The law, the, the, we're not talking about, the, remember, the law has changed around us. This is just a real quick, and we're going to jump to Easter. But remember, it's, it's not people, it's not the bakers and the photographers in and, and the wedding industry who all of a sudden change their minds. It's the law that's changed that's created this. And remember what happened last time the government got involved in, same, in, uh, in marriage, in redefining marriage. The last time the government got involved in redefining marriage, they said that marriage was no longer between a man and a woman. They said it was between a white man and a white woman, and a black man and a black woman. So when the government got its grubby little hands in, involved in trying to state what marriage is, rather than just recognize it for what it always had been, they came up with a really whacked out idea of it, and then they had to go around and change it back. Now the government's saying marriage, once again, is no longer between a man and a woman. It's now between you know two men, two women. It's only a matter of time before that will become um, discriminatory towards other people with other arrangements. We know that. That's the elephant in the room. It's coming. It's just a matter of time. So remember, it's the government that changed their, the, the, the laws here. Now, what's happening is people are reacting to this. Now, I will tell you, as someone who does weddings here in the city of Phoenix, um, there have been times that people have called me to do their wedding. And when they find out I'm a Christian and they find out that I, you know, I'm not going to sit there and present people as who are non-Christians as Christians at a wedding, but I do believe that marriage comes from the Bible. They say, thanks, but no thanks, we're moving on. Should they be compelled to hire me? You see, they're refusing me money. Should they be compelled to hire me simply because um, they you know, because they don't want to discriminate or they should not be able to discriminate against me and my religious beliefs? I have I am a man of certain religious beliefs, and they are pre- people of other religious beliefs, and they are saying, you know what, we don't like this guy because of his beliefs. We don't want to work with him. That's fine. Now, if they refuse to serve, to, to serve me food, if they refuse to do some other service, has nothing to do at all with participating in a behavior that violates moral conscience, then, you know, that, that should be wrong. Of course, they, we should treat each other humanely, but when it comes to situations of conscience, I can't in good conscience enthusiastically embrace this behavior. This is not what I want to, I don't want to have this on my conscience and say that I was part of this. I don't see what's so difficult about that, but we're going to talk more about that with Professor um, Professor Garrett Epps from University of Baltimore next week. 602-368-3776 is the number, and this Sunday is Easter. Now, call me about this about Easter, because the first, I just want to say a few things about it. The first thing I want to say is don't be a wacko when it comes to Easter. Okay. Well, listen, we don't call it Easter. We call it Resurrection Sunday because Easter harkens back to a pagan holiday. 
and pagan holiday, but people don't realize is if you're a Christian and you're celebrating Easter, you're actually celebrating a pagan holiday. If you agree with that, call me at 602-368-3776. If you get all angry and uptight because the people around you call it Easter when they're supposed to call it Resurrection Sunday or whatever, or Jesus rose from the dead Sunday, call me and let's talk about that because I think you're nuts. I love you. Well, I mean, I don't know you, but I mean, I think you're probably a nice person, but you're nuts. You know why? Let me ask you this question. Which is better for Christianity to have influence over an ancient pagan holiday or for pagan holidays to take over Christian holidays? You see what I'm saying? Easter may have been an ancient or a pagan holiday that was that was, you know, represented by bunnies and fertility and the ancient God, whoever I forgot her name. But if you ask the average person on the street, what are you going to do on Easter? What are they most likely going to say? Well, we have to go where? To church. When was the last time you heard someone say, well, at Easter, we're going to go to a pagan temple and worship the goddess of fertility. Nobody thinks that anymore because that's that no one, no one cares about that. Isn't it wonderful that there used to be a pagan holiday called Easter that now is worshiped in a Christian way. Isn't that so is now celebrated within a Christian. Isn't that wonderful? Doesn't that, shouldn't that put a smile? Isn't that a, isn't that an, an, a piece of evidence that maybe the world headed in a good direction? So just like relax a little bit. Well, our Easter eggs, we call them resurrection eggs and they have a Bible verse inside. Dude, please. If you're going to put a Bible verse inside the egg, that's fine, but put a piece of candy in there too. Can you imagine being five years old and you're like, oh, this is so cool. They have an Easter egg hunt at church and you open it up and instead of like a piece of chocolate, there's a there's a piece of paper that says John 3.16. You're going to go, give me, what, what happened? And, and this place stings, get me out of here. Why? Because, you know, my kids... When they come home from church, I ask them two questions. Then the first question I ask them is, did you have fun? And the next question I ask them is, what did you learn? Because if they didn't have fun, then they learned something. You know what they learned? That church isn't fun. You know what candy is? It's fun. Candy's fun when you're a kid. It's not fun when you're like an adult and every time you eat a piece of candy, you gain a pound. But when you're a kid... Candy's fun. And if my kids and the kids in our church can learn that church is fun, then maybe they'll want to go back. Do you agree with me? 602-368-3776. So just don't, and don't, you don't have to listen to people that just get weird about this. Now, um, I am excited because I want you to go to allaboutthattomb.com. In fact, because that is what our Easter theme is. In fact, we even have a little song to go along with it. And it goes something like this. Because you know I'm all about that tune, about that tune, no bunny. I'm all about that tune, about that tune, no bunny. I'm all about that tune, about that tune, no bunny. I'm all about that tune, about that tune. Yeah, it's pretty clear. We love those bunnies, true. Leaving us candy eggs like he's supposed to do. Cause he's got candy candy that all the kids chase All the eggs hidden in all the right places But we've gone overboard, it seems that we forgot We know that bunny ain't nothing, come on now make it stop Now we got Jesus, Jesus, God raise him up Cause I got love is even more than all these kids of chocolate stuff Yeah my mama, she told me tomorrow there'll be a surprise 
about that too, about that too, no bunny. I'm all about that too, about that too, no bunny. I'm all about that too, about that too, no bunny. I'm all about that too, about that too, hey. Cause I'm bringing Easter back. It's all about the tone that rolled away. An empty grave that means that Jesus saved. But I'm here to tell you, cause I got, he loves you more than all these kids love chocolate stuff. Yeah, my mama, she told me tomorrow will be a surprise. Yeah, a bunny will sneak in and leave us a big surprise. You know I won't be filling up this basket with hollow care. Cause an empty tomb's better than some empty chocolate hair. Because you know I'm That's right. Bring it home now. Now, my friends. There's a video that goes along with that song as well. It's awesome. There's a bunch of little kids running around. They're beating up the Easter Bunny. It's all in good fun. They don't beat him up that bad. But he kind of like exits the building at the end in a wheelchair. And it's, it's pretty funny. And it's a very cool video. So go to allaboutthattomb.com. Watch the video. It's been thousands of people have watched this video. We made it. Is it a Compass Church original? It's a parody song, of course, uh, from the song All About That Bass. And uh, as you know, so it, you got to hear that. So show it to you. Kids love it. It's just it's a crack up. It's a funny video. And we don't we don't really you know beat up the Easter Bunny too bad, but just enough. In fact, there's a cool little way we bring it around in the end. But it's fun. And and so that's what this whole thing is about because it's about new life. Now I want to tell you. In 1 Corinthians 15, well, by the way, I got I got Adam Johnson in the studio, and Adam Johnson is our uh, resident college student, 21 years old. Is that right, Adam? That's correct. Yeah, 21 from Grand Canyon University, broadcast student. Adam, that's a pretty good song, huh? Yeah, it's pretty solid. It's pretty good. It sounds Pre- familiar. I like the jingle. Yeah, it's, it's pretty good. It's, it's fun stuff. Now, um, and, and so Adam's hanging out with me today, and I tell you... Um, I, what I want you to hear, because we want to talk about Easter, and here's the question I have for you today. Did Jesus really rise from the dead? Okay, because that's kind of the, that, and I said this metaphor already, but this that is the elephant in the room. Did Jesus actually rise from the dead? Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14, it's it's really clear. It says this, and if Christ has not been raised... Then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. Did you hear that? And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your... In other words, if this whole thing is just a bunch of tradition, if it's just wishful thinking, if it's just a nice little story, then all of this whole Christianity thing is stupid. Now, I want to bring this up because I read this, I read something on the Pathios blog, and it was from like four years ago. And it was written by this guy, Bruce Epperly. And so he is what you would call, I'm assuming he is what you call a naturalist. And 
what the idea of naturalism would be is it would start from the presupposition that there's absolutely no way anything miraculous could ever happen in all of the world. Now, if you have, if you believe that, I challenge you to go out and get Eric Metaxas's book called Miracles because it will blow your mind. And if you get done reading that book and you still believe that there's absolutely no way anything miraculous can possibly happen, in other words, the, there's no supernatural activity, then you really are just convincing yourself. But what he says is about Easter is he says this, the dead don't come back to life. Corpses aren't resuscitated. Yet the Jesus they, referring to the disciples, encounter was neither a, neither a revived corpse nor a disembodied wraith. I don't know what the word wraith means, but it sounds intellectual. He was a whole person, alive and lively, yet not encompassed by the limits of everyday physical reality. Did you hear that? Not encompassed by the limits of everyday physical reality. In other words, that's a kind of a high-minded scholarly way of saying that Jesus really didn't rise from the dead. That he he's alive, but he's alive in our hearts. See, it says he lived in them, but lived beyond them as their animating spirit. Ah, so this, we can believe in Christianity. We just don't have to believe in the resurrection. So in other words, Jesus didn't actually rise from the dead. He's an animating spirit, kind of like Elvis, right? Elvis is an animating spirit. You can go to Vegas and you can see Elvis dressed up. You can get married by Elvis or like his animating spirit, kind of like Michael Jackson, right? I heard Thriller the other night. Someone was playing Thriller and everybody started getting animated. So I guess he's an animating spirit. So is that all it is? Because what happens is I look at the word and I see if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then we really are in trouble. We, this whole thing is a complete farce. You have to believe this. Now he goes on in this to say, he goes on to say, Resurrection changed everything, yet everything remained the same. The first Christians experienced persecution and martyrdom. The church itself became a place of both healing and destruction. And listen to this. And our post-resurrection world is threatened by global climate change and the destructive actions of Christianity's most ardent followers who subvert the all-embracing love of Jesus with a religion of rugged individualism, self-interested capitalism, intolerance, and scorched earth politics. What? What? Excuse what? So the resurrection happened, but it didn't really take root in people's lives because Christians are a bunch of capitalists who are rugged individualists and they're intolerant and they mess up the earth. And I'm sitting here going, are you kidding me? And so he goes on to say, and he talks about climate change and everything else. Now, the, why do I bring this up? Because in the next verse, see what he's saying is there's no, Jesus was not risen in any real physical way. If, if that's the case, according to Paul, then Christianity is a joke. It's a joke. It's pathetic. It's sorry. In fact, at the very end of that paragraph, he said, if in Christ... We, we have hope in this life only. 
We are of all people most to be pitied. In other words, if Jesus didn't rise, we are, as Christians, are the most pathetic people on the planet. So let me ask you a question. Do you really believe that Jesus rose physically from the dead? Because this guy claims to be a Christian and does not. He says what's happened is... We have to look at resurrection. It's not about enlightened. Now listen to what he goes on. It's not about enlightenment denial or conservative literalism, paths that lead to nowhere. In other words, if you believe that Jesus rose from the dead, that is a path that leads to nowhere. Instead, we should be thinking about things like climate change and all this other stuff. Now I got a question for you. When you, ha- when you look at the news and you see ISIS and you see a Christian about to get his head cut off, do you think that that person gives a rip about rugged individualism and climate change and scorched earth politics and capitalism? That do you think when that person is about, when that Christian is about to get beheaded by ISIS, do you think that person is going, you know, I'm really glad Jesus came to help deal with capitalism, to help teach us to be more tolerant of other types of political systems. When this dude is about to lose his head, do you really think that that is going through that person's mind? You see, my friends, to deny the resurrection is a luxury only college professors in America can afford to have. Did you hear that? Denying the resurrection, the bodily, true restoration, resurrection of Jesus is a luxury only people like college professors living in peace and safety with a guaranteed audience, with a guaranteed cadre of wide-eyed students financing them to stand there in a nice, safe community and say it didn't happen. Only they can afford that. But the guy who's about to lose his head for the sake of Christianity is going, God, I hope you can put this thing back on someday. Because I'm banking everything on you. You see, it's not the doctrine of ISIS that Jesus rose from the dead. It was not the doctrine of communism that Jesus rose from the dead. It was not the doctrine of Nazism that Jesus rose from the dead. So every man, woman, and child who has given their head or their life or a part of their body being chopped off as a punishment for the sake of the belief in the resurrection, I hope and I would suspect that they actually believe that it's true. Otherwise, they really are pathetic. They really are pathetic. Now, here's the question we have to ask ourselves. When when we make this statement... And so actually Paul says in verse 15, he says, we're even found to be misrepresenting God. So if you don't believe in resurrection, you're misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. So if he didn't raise them, then we're totally misrepresenting God. So he goes on to say that we're liars if we say that he's raised. We're saying if he's not raised. So 
Here's the question that I have for individuals like Mr. Epperly who, who go, well, you know, Jesus is alive in our hearts. Let me ask you a question. What happens to you when you die? Well, you go to heaven. Based on, based on what? Who, who goes to heaven? Who goes to heaven? You see, we start off, if we think through this logically, why do we, do you ever think about it? Stop for a second. Why do we die in the first place? And think about it. Why do people die in the first place? Ask any naturalist, anybody, any secularist, why do people die in the first place? Well, we die because things break down, right? Our body breaks down. We get cancer. We get hit by a truck. You know, um, you, know you, you eat poisonous food that you didn't intend to eat and you're dead. Because something breaks, the, the natural order, the way things are made, comes apart. Why does it come apart? In other words, if evolution is this wonderful impersonal force that has created everything on the planet, why does it suck so bad? Do you ever think that? Like, why is it so, why has it done such a bad job? Well, but look at the earth. Look what Mother Nature has produced. It's produced a lot of rotten stuff. Death and disease and decay and destruction is terrible. Why, why would an impersonal force create something and create something so flawed? What is the reason for death? You say, well, Tim, what then is the reason that God would create us only to have us die? But we have an answer for that. The answer is it's something called sin. See, we believe very easily that we die because of our own corruption, because of our own sin. And sin is anything that, that uh, does things outside of God's plan. So you have a car and they say, this is how you operate your car. You drive on the freeway, drive on the street, drive it. You know, if you drive into a lake, you're going to ruin the car. Why? Because the car was not made for that. So you and I were made for the sole purpose of honoring and bringing glory to God. When we don't do that, we drive the proverbial car into the lake. We do things with it. It was not created to do, and thus it dies. And it dies as a punishment. It comes apart. Death is nothing more than a coming apart physically. So the parts don't work anymore the way they were intended to work. So sin is a state of corruption, and it is evidence of a world that exists apart from the will of God. It is what you get when the world works absent of God. So we die because of sin. Now here, now think of this logically. Now track with me for a minute because you're going to be a little intellectual for 4.30 in the afternoon. If you never sinned, it would not be correct for you to die. It would not be right for you to die if you never sinned because death is a punishment for sin. It is a result of sin. So if you had no sin, it would be totally wrong for you to die. So if Jesus had sinned, there would be every reason in the world for him to die and remain dead. Do you understand that? To die and remain dead. But if Jesus actually rose from the dead, that would mean that he never sinned. And more than that, that he obeyed his father completely and accomplished his mission. So the, the, if, if Jesus is still dead, like this guy says, then Jesus failed. He is a failure. There's no reason for his spirit to live within us because it's no better than anybody else's. He failed. Even as I'm going to share in a moment, John Dominic Cross, this is one of the greatest things you could see in your life is the, was the, uh, the guys that, that stood in front of the tanks at Tiananmen Square in China years back, standing up for freedom. That's what Jesus did. Yeah, but they did it too. So why is Jesus any better? If he is still dead, that means he failed. 
And so he's no, that's what Paul's saying. You guys, Jesus is an ultimate utter failure if he is still in the grave. But if he's not, that means that death could not hold him. And why could death not hold him? Because he never sinned, but he did die. He died on the cross. Why? Because the Bible says he became sin for us. Now, this is crazy. You got to hear this. He became sin for us. Now, already we are going way deeper than Jesus died for climate change. Okay? So Jesus, now Jesus became sin for us. So he took your sin, your shame. He took the things that you are deserving of death because of, okay? And he became those things and then he died in your place. And then what happens is through faith in him, you gain right the righteousness and obedience that he himself lived. He lived a perfect life, which is why death could not hold him. That perfection and obedience is given to you in exchange for your sin that deserves death. Now, that is an amazing thing. And you know what that means? If you are given the obedience of Jesus Christ, as the Bible says you have been given as a Christian, then death can't hold you either. Whoa. Do you hear that? If death could not hold Jesus because of his obedience and perfection and righteousness and holiness, and that is then given to you out of God's free grace to you in exchange for your sin when which Jesus died on the cross for on Friday, then death can't hold you. It would be the most unjust thing in the world to keep you dead. You cannot remain dead. In other words, we will die. We will lose this tent. But you cannot be separated from God. You cannot be punished for sin. You cannot experience the punishment of death. You cannot because you have done nothing to deserve it in the eyes of God. Whoa, baby. That is powerful. Now, in a moment, when we come back, we are going to talk about evidences for the resurrection and evidences, or not evidences, but the alternative explanations for what happened to Jesus if he didn't rise. I'm Tim Jacobs, Life 360 with Tim Jacobs. Hi there, Tim Jacobs here. I want to talk to all of my listeners living in the Phoenix area. And if you're like me, you're trying to stay active. And sometimes maybe your ego is writing checks that your body can't cash. And if you find yourself getting hurt, maybe you pulled something and you don't want it to sideline you, you need to go see my friends at ChiroFit. They are a full service uh, chiropractic, massage, physical therapy, and they have locations all over the valley. They have one in Buckeye and in Peoria, Tempe. They just opened up another location in Avondale. Go to chirofitgroup.com. That's chirofitgroup.com or call them at 623-773-2000 and just tell them, say, I'm hurting and I need help. And they will get right on it and you can go down there and you can start feeling better today. So again, chirofitgroup.com and tell them that Tim Jacobs sent you.
Tim Jacobs. This is I am Tim Jacobs, and you are listening to this on 1280KXEG, the phone number. If you want to get in on the conversation of Jesus' resurrection, do you believe that he actually rose from the dead, or is this all much ado about nothing? 602-368-3776. Once again, 602-368-3776. I would love for you to talk. Maybe you have a question about the resurrection. Maybe you're not sure about it. I promise I do. I don't want to, um, you know, be one of these guys that's going to give you a hard time, but I just want to try to understand just as much as you do as well. But I'm telling you, it takes more faith to believe that Jesus did not rise from the dead than that he did. And I will give you several evidences of this. Probably the guy that's like the rock star on this whole resurrection of Jesus and the arguments for it um, outside of just simply what what we're based on scripture, but not, but thinking it through logically based on what we know about scripture is William Lane Craig. That guy is awesome. And he wrote a book a long time ago called Will the Real Jesus Stand Up? And it was a debate between William Lane Craig, who that I just mentioned who he is, and John Dominic Crossan, who's kind of one of the leading guys, one of the leading voices of what's called the Jesus Seminar, which is the naturalist expression of of um, of the uh, well, I guess provides a naturalist explanation of it. Now, several of the points that Dr. Craig makes about this is that just looking at evidences. First of all, we know that Jesus was buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. Now, the the uh, the problem with that, if you're going to make up a lie about Jesus being buried. Uh, or Jesus coming back from the dead, I should say, the last thing you would do in making up a story about Jesus is to tell everybody that he was buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. Why? Because Joseph of Arimathea was a member of the Jewish court, the Sanhedrin, that condemned Jesus. So if you're have if you're going to have if you're going to make up a lie about Jesus rising from the dead the last thing you're going to do is go one of the guys that condemned him he was buried in his tomb because they could easily go well let's just go check that out but that would be ridiculous like you would never think of doing that but they were eyewitnesses they were there they saw it, and they related the facts the way that it happened so you wouldn't if you're making up a story you wouldn't do that Secondly, the second fact he brings up is on the Sunday following the crucifixion, the tomb of Jesus was found empty by a group of his women followers. Now, what's significant about that? If you are a woman back then, ladies, you think you got it rough now. You don't have any idea. Life back in the early first century in, in the Roman Empire was not pretty for you. In fact, women didn't even have a testimony that would hold up in court. The very fact that women in all of the gospel accounts were the first ones to find Jesus at the tomb is very, very bizarre. If you wanted to make a believable, credible story and you wanted to make it up, you, the last people that would have credibility in society would be women. But why? So why would they say that women found the empty tomb? Because they did. They were just, you know, we report, you decide. You know what I'm saying? So he was buried at the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. That's an unlikely thing if you're going to make up a story. Number two, women found him. That's a really unlikely cultural thing. You just wouldn't want to do that. All right. Number three is on multiple occasions, he says this, and under various circumstances, different individuals experienced appearances of Jesus alive from the dead. 
Now you go, well, what's the big deal about that? They could have made that up. Yeah, but if you're writing in contemporary times and you're saying all of these people saw him and then people were going, but where are they? And other people attested. Eyewitness account in court is huge. Like the number one thing. I saw that guy. We know now what works with selling products and infomercials testimonials. I tried it. It worked for me. There were hundreds and hundreds of people who saw the resurrected Jesus and they lived to tell about it. Now, if you're going to make something up, you wouldn't say like, duh, everybody knows hundreds of people saw him. They'd be like, well, you know, actually uh, one guy saw him and it was in the woods somewhere. And uh, yeah, he was kind of like drunk and, but it, he was, but it's okay. No, it was like, uh, they, they were, they were saying it matter of fact, they weren't trying to convince anybody. This is what happened. They weren't trying to say, we know he, he, he arose because all these people saw him. They said, you know, he appeared to over 500 people, including the disciples. Which, by the way, is the most compelling thing. Why would 11 out of the 12 disciples die martyrs' deaths when all they would have to do is say, we're just kidding, we stuck Jesus' body over here in a tree, I'll go show you. The jig is up, we're just trying to have a little fun. Please do not crucify me. All they would have had to do was do that. But they didn't. They're like, well, I'm not changing my story. Not one of those guys said, look, we were just bored. The fishing thing stinks. It's boring. Every day you get up and you have to catch fish and we just, we just want to have a little fun. No. And then finally, the fi- oh, well, there's so many other arguments as well. But finally, the original disciples believe that Jesus was written from the dead despite their having every reason not to. Now, I just mentioned one of those reasons, but the other reason is there, there was, it didn't fit in Jewish theology to have someone rise from the dead in the middle of history. They would have believed that there's a resurrection at the end of history, but not in the middle. It didn't fit what their expectations were. They weren't looking for a guy to die and rise from the dead. They weren't looking for it. They, they, that's why they went back to fishing. They're like, the dude is dead. Otherwise they wouldn't, well, maybe he'll rise from the dead. No, when he was dead, he was dead. He was gone. Now I got Adam in the studio. Now, Adam, I'm going to give you a couple of, of, um, of the alternative scenarios. So, so now people will say, uh, and the thing is everybody believes Jesus existed, right? I mean, unless you don't believe Jesus, well, Jesus never existed. Okay, whatever. Then nobody else existed either. So, um, but he's, but he obviously did. So what happened to his body? So if he didn't rise from the dead, there are two leading theories. The first one is what I call the puppy chow theory. And that is put forth by this John Dominic Crossan guy. And John Dominic Crossan said that his body was probably eaten by dogs. All right. So now why would he say that? Because, you know, criminals were crucified and then their their bodies are all bloody and messed up and they don't have any friends because they're criminals and everybody hates their guts. And so they just fall off the cross and they leave them on the ground. Here's the problem. Nobody would have wanted that to happen. Neither Jesus's friends nor his enemies would have wanted that to happen. Yeah. If you're trying to say, hey. Look at this body we got in here. You're not going to let the local dogs pass the tomb or let let them in there. I mean, that's going to dis, dis, disregard all your credibility you had. Yes, it's going to disregard the credibility of both the Jewish leaders who wanted him dead. And if anyone questioned it, then they would be able to produce the body, which is why they guarded it with Roman soldiers in a big, giant stone that would have been very difficult for any one man to get out of. 
So, and, and also Jesus's friends, his mother, his, his, uh, his other, his disciples, the people that cared about him and loved him. I mean, if you, if your, if your son had, had been murdered, would you just let his body just sit there on the ground? Go, well, you know, there's not much left to him. Let's just let Fido go and eat him up. No. Nobody's going to do that. Nobody's going to do that. So if you, now, if you believe that you have to ignore culture. And by the way, it was, it, that's not the way they buried anybody of any value to society. They didn't do that. So if you want to make that up, because there's no possible way that he could have risen from the dead, to me, it takes absolutely more faith to believe that than to believe all of the evidence that we have. That's the first theory is the puppy chow theory. The second theory is what I call, and you guys know that I'm a Monty Python and the Holy Grail fan because at the at the beginning of the show there's you know there are some who call me Tim so and if you don't have you ever heard that that's like a reference to Monty Python and the Holy Grail which it's is a, it's a classic movie Adam I mean yeah. you're 21 have you seen the movie absolutely have you seen it more than once probably two or three times it, yeah. well in two or three times is still pretty sad you should probably see it more like 15 I'll or get it right, right on that after this after this because you have to loan you have to know how to quote every man. <laughs> should have at least a dozen Monty Python quotes in his back pocket at all times. Because the last thing a man wants to do is be in a crowd with other men and have mm-hmm. someone quote a Monty Python line and have that man not and that man not know what he's referring to. Man card revoked. Man card revoked. I mean, this is one of the classic movies of all time. So anyway, that being said, the next theory is what I call the not quite dead theory. And if you're a Monty Python and the Holy Grail fan, you'll know the scene I'm referring to where he's not quite dead. This is also actually technically called the swoon theory. Now, follow this, folks. Now, this is, again, this is Harvard. This is the best they've got when we say we're not going to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Instead, we believe this, of all of of 2,000 years of history, this is the only thing that the brightest people in the world can come up with. The swoon theory, which is that Jesus was whipped with the 39 lashes, the 40 minus one, because 40 killed you. With the cat of nine tails, that if you saw Passion of the Christ with Mel Gibson, I only saw that once. I'm like, I cannot take that movie more than once. Rip the guy's back open to where there probably wasn't any skin at all left on it. And he was completely tortured, beaten for hours, spit on, got the crown of thorns on his head. They made him carry his cross all the way up the hill. They nailed his hands and his feet, and he hung there for six hours bleeding to death then they then when they thought he was dead they stabbed him in the side with a sword so all the water came out of because that's how they knew that he was dead but let's just say for the moment he wasn't quite dead so then they pulled him off the cross and and uh, then they wrapped him in burial cloths really tight because we don't want to not wrap a dead guy well because that would be bad yeah get everywhere yeah i mean smell like chuck e cheese you know what I mean? On a Friday night. So, so then, then they put him in the tomb, no food, no water, no ESPN, no, you know, no, um, candy crush saga, no nothing. Three days later, Sunday morning, he wakes up. 
And he's like, oh, man, that was a rough weekend. Oh, right? Where am I? Right? So he starts to kind of like wiggle his way up and he like busts out of the burial cloths, tears them off. He's like, man, what? Who did this to me? Is this some kind of the disciples? Are they just, I don't remember anything from a few nights ago. So th- this is the swoon theory. So he gets up, stretches out, takes a couple deep breaths, realizes he's in a tomb guarded by soldiers. So apparently he's been going to CrossFit and he gives it his best shot at, at uh, knocking down the stone and beating up the guards who are highly trained. And if they lose the body, they are as good as dead. Beats them up to a bloody pulp and then runs back into town with his beard ripped off, stuff hanging all over him, you know, wounds everywhere, looking like a complete uh, meth addict. And then, and then runs into town and says, hey, I'm God. And everybody goes, whoa, let's follow that guy. Really? Really? And that was the prevailing alternative theory of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that was invented in the 20th century, the century of humanism and idiocy. So, my friends, now, Adam, I'll ask you, and I know obviously you're you're a believer, but in, in, at, in, you go to Grand Canyon, so I assume that you're a smart guy and you read a lot and you're trying to study stuff. What makes more sense to you? Probably the first part we were talking about earlier. I mean, why would, with this whole swooning idea and him and leaving and beating up the guards, what's what's the point of that? Like, what, If he would have died on the cross and, you know, obeyed his father's command, then why is he leaving the the tomb? And, after, and more than that, why would he just disappear then? Wouldn't he have, like, a reason to stay and say, hey, look, I'm alive, but... Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. Why did... If he, if, he, if he wasn't quite dead, then where'd he go afterwards? That's a great point, Adam. Where'd he go? Why didn't he live to be 55 or 60? Why didn't he have kids and grandkids and write a book, a New York Times bestseller, Being Jesus, The Real Story by Jesus? You know what I'm saying? Like, he's gone. You think if, if he could survive that, at least he would, he would get some kind of like DVD workout program that he could sell to people. Like, you know what? I survived the cross. So can you. Do you see what I'm saying? But you get nothing but guys saying that he's gone. And then if he died afterwards, even if he died four days later, it doesn't matter. He's still dead. Do you see what I'm saying? The disciples still, it absolutely makes no sense. But this is what you're left with when you say, like the guy that I read earlier said, that Jesus, there's no possible way corpses aren't resuscitated. The Jesus they encountered was neither a revived corpse nor a disembodied waif. He was a whole person alive and lively, yet not encompassed by the limits of everyday physical reality. In other words, there's no way he rose from the dead. I'm not going to believe it. And here's the thing. Fine. If you don't believe it, that's fine. But guess what? You're host. Because not even Jesus could get it right. You're done. You are done. But if he did get it right, and it is true, then it's the greatest thing you have ever heard in your life. You know why? Because the Bible says that Jesus is the first fruit 
of the resurrection. Now, I'm not a farmer, okay? The closest thing, if I was a farmer, I'd be like Polly Shore in that movie, Son-in-Law. I probably shouldn't make a reference to that movie on a Christian radio station. But I am not a farmer. I know nothing about farming. But I will tell you this, that when you farm and when you plant something, the crop that comes up the first is the crop that you can tell what it's what the rest of it's going to be like. It's like the beta. It's like the it's the prototype or it's the it's an indication. It's kind of like when you see the 2016 Dodge Challenger and they go, "Ooh." And maybe they cover up part of it, but they go, "This is what it is." And you're like, "Oh, now I have an idea of what it's going to look like even if it's covered up a bit. I can see." And so what is he saying? That the resurrected body of Christ is a picture, an indication, an example, a prototype. No more than a prototype, it is an advanced copy of what you and I will be like. Now that should blow your mind. In other words, the first fruits, what you get is what Jesus himself got. We will be like him. And isn't that what you really want? See, the problem I have with the naysayers and the problem I have with the gnomen that are like, oh, it didn't happen. Then, then what is your alternative explanation of what the future holds for you? And you know what the answer is? Nothing. They've got nothing. But well, it didn't happen like that. Well, then how did it happen? Well, I don't know. I don't know. Okay. But we've, we've got something that actually makes sense. Because at the end of the day, don't you really want to be in a body, but just maybe one that isn't broken down? You know, and maybe I've got people listening right now. I was joking with my wife. I go, you know, there's probably someone listening in a hospital bed and the nurse turned the radio on and they're laying there and they can't move. So they're like forced to listen to me. Um, and so and if that's you and you're laying there in a hospital bed right now because the nurse turned the station on and you can't reach over and change it. I know they have those little remote control things, but let's just say for the sake of argument. And your body is breaking down. Isn't it the best news in the world to think to yourself and to believe in your heart that God knows your body's breaking down, but promises you that you will have another one that will be restored and un and incapable of going through what you are going through right now? Isn't that what you really want? Or do you want to be a blob that floats around in some nebulous, you know, acid trip? with some kaleidoscope with leprechauns and a rainbow singing some crazy song from the 60s or whatever else in some kind of strange is that what you want I don't want that I kind of want to be in the body that I'm in except without all the problems I kind of feel like I was made for a body and the Bible affirms that just not one that's going to die one that's going to be amazing and you, you see what I'm saying? That's the alternative. The alternative. What's the alternative? Well, you know, that you don't get a body? That you come back as a gnat? That you come back, that you, that you get reincarnated as Shirley MacLaine? I mean, what is it that you want? The Bible address. No, so this Easter story, nothing, nobody addresses, no other faith addresses the needs of the human condition more holistically, more comprehensively. Then this story right here. But if you don't believe it and you claim to be a Christian, well, let me say it this way. If it didn't happen, 
and you claim it that it did, according to Paul, you are the sorriest person on the planet because you traded your 70 or whatever years of life for believing in something, a false hope. But Paul says, no way. He says, death has been killed. Death has been defeated. I'm telling you what, my friends, there is no better answer. There is no better hope. And that's why this show is called Life 360 with Tim Jacobs, because we, we believe here on this show that this truth answers everything that you could possibly want to know about the deepest needs of our lives, that it provides the perfect answer. You may need to take this podcast at timjacobslive.com and give it to someone who's struggling. Give it to someone who is maybe not sure about the resurrection. Say, you got to listen to this crazy guy on the, uh, he's the Reverend Irreverent. Okay? I am Tim Jacobs. This is Life 360 with Tim Jacobs. And remember, you need to have confidence in this amazing reality. I want to say thank you to Mark for being my producer today. Thanks to Adam for hanging out and representing the next generation of crazy radio guys. And I want to say thank you to God for his wonderful provision. Be bold, be strong, have an amazing week. And I will see you next Tuesday for more fun stuff. Life 360, I'm Tim Jacobs. 